Section 43 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1, by Thomas Stevens, Chapter 21, Tehran, Part 1. There is sufficient similarity between the bazaar the mosques the residences the suburban gardens etc of one persian city and the same features of another to justify the assertion that the description of one is a description of them all but the presence of the shah and his court the pomp and circumstance of eastern royalty the foreign ambassadors the military the improvements introduced from europe the royal palaces of the present sovereign, the palaces and reminiscences of former kings, all these things combine to effectually elevate Tehran above the somewhat dreary sameness of provincial cities. A person in the habit of taking daily strolls here and there about the city will scarcely fail of obtaining a glimpse of the Shah, incidentally, every few days. In this respect, there is little comparison to be made between him and the Sultan of Turkey, who never emerges from the seclusion of the palace, except to visit the mosque, or on extraordinary occasions, he is then driven through streets between compact lines of soldiers, so that a glimpse of his imperial person is only to be obtained by taking considerable trouble. Since the Shah's narrow escape from assassination at the hands of the Babi conspirators in 1867, he has exercised more caution than formerly about his personal safety. Previous to that affair, it was customary for him to ride on horseback well in advance of his bodyguard, but nowadays he never rides in advance any further than etiquette requires him to, which is about the length of his horse's neck. When his frequent outings take him beyond the city fortifications, he is generally provided with both saddle-horse and carriage, thus enabling him to change from one to the other at will. The Shah is evidently not indifferent to the fulsome flattery of the courtiers and sycophants about him, nor insensible of the pomp and vanity of his position. Nevertheless, he is not without a fair share of common sense. Perhaps the worst that can be said of him is that he seems content to prostitute his own more enlightened and progressive views to the prejudices of a bigoted and fanatical priesthood. He seems to have a generous desire to see the country opened up to the civilizing improvements of the West, and to give the people an opportunity of emancipating themselves from their present deplorable condition. But the Mollahs set their faces firmly against all reform, and the Shah evidently lacks the strength of will to override their opposition. It was owing to this criminal weakness on his part that Baron Euter's scheme of railways and commercial regeneration for the country proved a failure. Persia is undoubtedly the worst priest-ridden country in the world. The Molaha influence everything and everybody. 
from the monarch downward to such an extent that no progress is possible barring outside interference persia will remain in its present wretched condition until the advent of a monarch with sufficient force of character to deliver the people from the incubus of their present power and influence nothing short of a general massacre however will be likely to accomplish complete deliverance without compromising his dignity as shairi shah the asylum of the universe etc when dealing with his own subjects nazreddin shall has profited by the experiences of his european tour to the extent of recognizing with becoming toleration the democratic independence of ferengis whose deportment betrays the fact that they are not dazed by the contemplation of his greatness the other evening myself and a friend encountered the shah and his crowd of attendants on one of the streets leading to the winter palace he was returning to the palace in state after a visit of ceremony to some dignitary first came a squad of foot-runners in quaint scarlet coats knee-breeches white stockings and low shoes and with a most fantastic headdress not unlike a peacock's tail on dress parade each runner carried a silver staff they were clearing the street and shouting their warning for everybody to hide their faces behind them came a portion of the shah's kajar bodyguard well mounted and dressed in a grey uniform braided with black each of these also carries a silver staff and besides sword and dagger has a gun slung at his back in a red baize case next came the royal carriage containing the shah the carriage is somewhat like a sheriff's coach of ye olden time and is drawn by six superb greys mounted on the off-horses are three postilions in gorgeous scarlet liveries immediately behind the shah's carriage came the higher dignitaries on horseback and lastly a confused crowd of three or four hundred horsemen as the royal procession approached the persians one and all either hid themselves or backed themselves up against the wall and remained with heads bowed halfway to the ground until it passed seeing that we had no intention of striking this very submissive and servile attitude first the scarlet foot-runners and then the advance of the kajar guard addressed themselves to us personally shouting appealingly as though very anxious about it saib saib and motioned for us to do as the natives were doing these valiant guardians of the shah's barbaric gloriousness cling tenaciously to the belief that it is the duty of everybody whether ferengi or native to prostrate themselves in this manner before him although the monarch himself has long ceased to expect it and is very well satisfied if the ferengi respectfully doffs his hat as he goes past much of the nonsensical glamour and superstitious awe that formerly surrounded the person of oriental potentates has been dissipated of late years by the moral influence of european residents and travellers but a few years ago it was certain death for any luckless native 
who failed to immediately scuttle off somewhere out of sight or to turn his face to the wall whenever the carriages of the royal ladies passed by and europeans generally turned down a side street to avoid trouble when they heard the attending eunuchs shouting gitchen gitchen begone begone down the street but things may be done with impunity now that before the shah's eye-opening visit to frangistan would have been punished with instant death and although the eunuchs shout gitchen gitchen as lustily as ever they are now content if people will only avert their faces respectfully as the carriages drive past an eccentric austrian gentleman once saw fit to imitate the natives in turning their faces to the wall and improved upon the time-honoured custom to the extent of making salams from the back of his head this singular performance pleased the ladies immensely and they reported it to the shah sending for the austrian the shah made him repeat the performance in his presence and was so highly amused that he dismissed him with a handsome present prominent among the improvements that have been introduced in tehran of late may be mentioned gas and the electric light were one to make this statement and enter into no further explanations the impression created would no doubt be elusive for although the fact remains that these things are in existence here they could be more appropriately placed under the heading of toys for the gratification of the shah's desire to gather about him some of the novel and interesting things he had seen in europe than improvements made with any idea of benefiting the condition of the city as a whole indeed one might say without exaggeration that nothing new or beneficial is ever introduced into persia except for the personal gratification or glorification of the shah hence it is that while a few european improvements are to be seen in tehran they are found nowhere else in persia coal of an inferior quality is obtained in the elberts mountains near kazveen and brought on the backs of camels to tehran and enough gas is manufactured to supply two rows of lamps leading from the lop maidan to the palace front two rows on the east side of the palace and a dozen more in the top maidan itself the gas is of the poorest quality and the lamps glimmer faintly through the gloom of a moonless evening until half-past nine giving about as much light or rather making darkness about as visible as would the same number of tallow candles at this hour they are extinguished and any person found outside of his own house later than this is liable to be arrested and fined the electric light improvements consist of four lights on ordinary gas lamp posts in the top maidan and a more ornamental and pretentious affair immediately in front of the palace these are only used on special occasions the electric lights are a never-failing source of wonder and mystification to the common people of the city and the peasants coming in from the country 
a stroll into the maidan any evening when the four electric lights are making the gas lamps glimmer feebler than ever reveals a small crowd of natives assembled about each post gazing wonderingly up at the globe endeavouring to penetrate the secret of its brightness and commenting freely among themselves in this wise mashallah abdullah says one here does all the light come from they put no candles in no naphtha no anything where does it come from mashallah replies abdullah i don't know it lights up biff all of a sudden without anybody putting matches to it or going anywhere near it nobody knows how it comes about except shaitan satan and shaitan's children the ferengis allah it is wonderful echoes another and our shah is a wonderful being to give us such things to look at allah be praised all these strange innovations and incomprehensible things produce a deep impression on the unlightened minds of the common persians and helps to deify the shah in their imagination for although they know these things come from frangistan it seems natural for them to sing the praises of the shah in connection with them they think these five electric lights in tehran among the wonders of the world the glimmering gas lamps and the electric lights help to rivet their belief that their capital is the most wonderful city in the world and their shah the greatest monarch extant these extreme ideas are of course considerably improved upon when we leave the ranks of illiteracy but the persians capable of forming anything like an intelligent comparison between themselves and a european nation are confined to the shah himself the corps diplomatique and a few prominent personages who have been abroad always on the lookout for something to please the shah the news of my arrival in tehran on the bicycle no sooner reaches the ear of the court officials than the monarch hears of it himself on the seventh day after my arrival an officer of the palace calls on behalf of the shah and requests that i favour them all by following the soldiers who will be sent to-morrow morning at eight o'clock ferengi time to conduct me to the palace where it is appointed that i am to meet the shah in shah and king of kings and ride with him on the bicycle to his summer palace at doshantepe yes i shall of course be most happy to accommodate and to be the means of introducing to the notice of his majesty the wonderful iron horse the latest wonder from frangistan i reply and the officer after salaaming with more than french politeness takes his departure promptly at the hour appointed the soldiers present themselves and after waiting a few minutes for the horses of two young englishmen who desire to accompany us part way i mount the ever-ready bicycle and together we follow my escort along several fairly rideable streets to the office of the foreign minister the soldiers clear the way of pedestrians donkeys camels and horses driving them unceremoniously to the right to the left into the ditch 
anywhere out of my road for am i not for the time being under the shah's special protection i am as much the shah's toy and plaything of the moment as an electric light a stop-watch or as the big croup gun the concussion of which nearly scared the soldiers out of their wits by shaking down the little minars of one of the city gates close to which they had unwittingly discharged it on first trial the foreign office like every building of pretension whether public or private in the land of the lion and the sun is a substantial edifice of mud and brick enclosing a square courtyard or garden in which splashing fountains play amid a wealth of vegetation that springs as if by waft of magician's wand from the sandy soil of persia wherever water is abundantly supplied tall slender poplars are nodding in the morning breeze the less lofty almond and pomegranate sheltered from the breezes by the surrounding building rustle never a leaf but seem to be offering pomona's choice products of nuts and rosy pomegranates with modest mien and silence whilst beds of rare exotics peculiar to this sunny clime imparts to the atmosphere of the cool shaded garden a pleasing sense of being perfumed here by means of the shah's interpreter i am introduced to nazir il mulk the persian foreign minister a kindly-faced yet business-looking old gentleman at whose request i mount and ride with some difficulty around the confined and quite unsuitable footwalks of the garden a crowd of officials and farashes look on in unconcealed wonder and delight true to their persian characteristic of inquisitiveness nazir il mulk and the officers catechise me unmercifully for some time concerning the mechanism and capabilities of the bicycle and about the past and future of the journey round the world in company with the interpreter i now ride out to the doshan tepe gate where we are to await the arrival of the shah from the doshan tepe gate is some four english miles of fairly good artificial road leading to one of the royal summer palaces and gardens his majesty goes this morning to the mountains beyond doshan tepe on a shooting excursion and wishes me to ride out with his party a few miles thus giving him a good opportunity of seeing something of what bicycle travelling is like the tardy monarch keeps myself and a large crowd of attendants waiting a full hour at the gate ere he puts in an appearance among the crowd is the shah's chief shikari hunter a grizzled old veteran beneath whose rifle many a forest prowler of the caspian slope of mazanderao has been laid low the shikari upon seeing me ride and not being able to comprehend how one can possibly maintain the equilibrium exclaims oh ayab ingilis oh the wonderful englishman everybody's face is wreathed in smiles at the old shikari's exclamation of wonderment and when i jokingly advise him that he ought to do his hunting for the future on a bicycle 
and again mount and ride with hands off handles to demonstrate the possibility of shooting from the saddle the delighted crowd of horsemen burst out in hearty laughter many of them exclaiming bravo bravo at length the word goes round that the shah is coming everybody dismounts and as the royal carriage drives up every persian bows his head nearly to the ground remaining in that highly submissive attitude until the carriage halts and the shah summons myself and the interpreter to his side i am the only ferengi in the party my two english companions having returned to the city intending to rejoin me when i separate from the shah the shah impresses one as being more intelligent than the average persian of the higher class and although they are as a nation inordinately inquisitive no persian has taken a more lively interest in the bicycle than his majesty seems to take as through his interpreter he plies me with all manner of questions among other questions he asks if the cords didn't molest me when coming through kurdistan without an escort and upon hearing the story of my adventure with the kurdish shepherds between Ovajik and Khoi, he seems greatly amused. Another large party of horsemen arrived with the Shah, swelling the company to perhaps two hundred attendants. Pedalling alongside the carriage in the best position for the Shah to see, we proceed toward Doshantepe, the crowd of horsemen following, some behind and others careering over the stony plain through which the Doshantepe highway leads. After covering about half a mile, the Shah leaves the carriage and mounts a saddle-horse, in order to the better put me through some exercises. First he requests me to give him an exhibition of speed. Then I have to ride a short distance over the rough stone-strewn plain to demonstrate the possibility of traversing a rough country, after which he desires to see me ride at the slowest pace possible. All this evidently interests him not a little, and he seems even more amused than interested, laughing quite heartily several times as he rides alongside the bicycle. After a while he again exchanges for the carriage, and at four miles from the city gate we arrive at the palace garden. Through this garden is a long, smooth, walk, and here the Shah again requests an exhibition of my speeding abilities. The garden is traversed with a network of irrigating ditches, but I am assured there is nothing of the kind across the pathway which he wishes me to ride as fast as possible. Two hundred yards from the spot where this solemn assurance is given, it is only by a lightning-like dismount that I avoid running into the very thing that I was assured did not exist. It was the narrowest possible escape from what might have proved a serious accident. Riding back toward the advancing party, I point out my good fortune in escaping the tumble. The Shah asks if people ever hurt themselves by falling off bicycles, and the answer that such a fall such as I would have experienced by running full speed into the irrigating ditch might possibly result in broken bones appeared to strike him as extremely humorous 
from the way he laughed i fancy the sending me flying toward the irrigating ditch was one of the practical jokes that he is sometimes not above indulging in after mounting and forcing my way for a few yards through deep loose gravel to satisfy his curiosity as to what could be done in loose ground i trundle along with him to a small menagerie that he keeps at this place on the way he inquires about the number of wheelmen there are in england and america whether i am english or american why they don't use iron tires on bicycles instead of rubber and many other questions proving the great interest aroused in him by the advent of the first bicycle to appear in his capital the menagerie consists of one cage of monkeys about a dozen lions and two or three tigers and leopards we pass along from cage to cage and as the keeper coaxes the animals to the bars the shah amuses himself by poking them with an umbrella it was arranged in the original program that i should accompany them to their rendezvous in the foothills about a mile beyond the palace to take breakfast with the party but seeing the difficulty of getting up there with the bicycle and not caring to spoil the favourable impression already made by having to trundle up i ask permission to take my leave at this point the request is granted and the interpreter returns with me to the city thus ends my memorable bicycle ride with the shah of persia soon after my ride with the shah the naib e sultan the governor of tehran and commander-in-chief of the army asked me to bring the bicycle down to the military maidan and ride for the edification of himself and officers being busy at something or other when the invitation was received i excused myself and requested that he make another appointment i am in the habit of taking a constitutional spin every morning by means of which i have figured as an object of interest and have been stared at in blank amazement by full half the wonder-stricken population of the city the fame of my journey the knowledge of my appearance before the shah and my frequent appearance upon the streets has had the effect of making me one of the most conspicuous characters in the persian capital and the people have bestowed upon me the expressive and distinguishing title of the aspi sahib horse of iron sahib a few mornings after receiving the naib e sultan's invitation i happened to be wheeling past the military maidan and attracted by the sound of martial music inside determined to wheel in and investigate perhaps in all the world there is no finer military parade ground than in tehran it consists of something over one hundred acres of perfectly level ground forming a square that is walled completely in by alcoved walls and barracks with gaily painted balakanas over the gates the delighted guards at the gate make way and present arms as they see me approaching wheeling inside i am somewhat taken aback at finding a general review of the whole tehran garrison in progress about ten thousand men are manoeuvring in squads companies and regiments over the ground having from previous experience on smaller occasions 
discovered that my appearance on the incomprehensible asp e ahwan would be pretty certain to temporarily demoralize the troops and create general disorder and inattention i am for a moment undetermined about whether to advance or retreat the acclamations of delight and approval from the nearest troopers at seeing me enter the gate however determines me to advance and i start off at a rattling pace around the square and then take a zigzag course through the manoeuvring bodies of men the sharpshooters lying prostrate in the dust mechanically rise up to gaze forgetting their discipline squares of soldiers change into confused companies of inattentive men simultaneous confusion takes place in straight lines of marching troops and the music of the bands degenerates into inharmonious toots and discordant squeaks from the inattention of the musicians all along the line the signal runs not every person is expected to do his duty but the aspi hawan sahib the aspi hawan sahib the whole army is in direful commotion in the midst of the general confusion up dashes an orderly who requests that i accompany him to the presence of the commander-in-chief and staff which of course i readily do though not without certain misgivings as to my probable reception under the circumstances there is no occasion for misgivings however the naib e sultan instead of being displeased at the interruption to the review is as delighted at the appearance of the asbi inahan as is abdul the drummer boy and he has sent for me to obtain a closer acquaintance after riding for their edification and answering their multifarious questions i suggest to the commander-in-chief that he ought to mount the shah's favourite regiment of cossacks on bicycles the suggestion causes a general laugh among the company and he replies yes aspi ihwan cossacks would look very splendid on our dress parade here in the maidan but for scouting over our rough persian mountains and the naib e sultan finished the sentence with a laugh and a negative shrug of his shoulders two mornings after this i take a spin out on the doshan tepe road and upon wheeling through the city gate i find myself in the immediate presence of another grand review again under the personal inspection of the naibi sultan disturbing two grand reviews within two days is of course more than i bargained for and i would gladly have retreated through the gate but coming full upon them unexpectedly i find it impossible to prevent the inevitable result the troops are drawn up in line about fifty yards from the road and are for the moment standing at ease awaiting the arrival of the shah while the commander-in-chief and his staff are indulging in soothing whiffs at the seductive kalyan the cries of aspi awan sahib breaks out all along the line and scores of soldiers break ranks and come running helter-skelter toward the road regardless of the line officers who frantically endeavor to wave them back dashing ahead i am soon beyond the lines congratulating 
myself that the effects of my disturbing presence is quickly over but ere long i discover that there is no other rideable road back and am consequently compelled to pass before them again on returning accordingly i hasten to return before the arrival of the shah seeing me returning the naib e sultan and his staff advance to the road with kalyans in hand their oval faces wreathed in smiles of approbation they extend cordial salutations as i wheel past the persians seem to do little more than play at soldiering perhaps in no other army in the world could a lone cycler demoralize a general review twice within two days and then be greeted with approving smiles and cordial salutations by the commander and his entire staff through november and the early part of december the weather in tehran continues on the whole quite agreeable and suitable for short distance wheeling but mindful of the long distance yet before me and the uncertainty of touching at any point where supplies could be forwarded i deem it advisable to take my exercise afoot and save my rubber tires for the more serious work of the journey to the pacific there are no green lanes down which to stroll nor emerald meads through which to wander about the persian capital though what green things there are retain much of their greenness until the early winter months the fact of the existence of any green thing whatever and even to a greater extent its survival through the scorching summer months depending almost wholly on irrigation enables vegetation to retain its pristine freshness almost until suddenly pounced upon and surprised by the frost there is no springy turf no velvety greensward in the land of the lion and the sun no sooner does one get beyond the vegetation called into existence by the moisture of an irrigating ditch or a stream than the bare grey surface of the desert crunches beneath one's tread there is an avenue leading part way from the city to the summer residence of the english minister at gulaic that conjures up memories of an english lane but the double row of chenars poplars and jujubes are kept alive by irrigation and all outside is verdureless desert things are valued everywhere for their scarcity and a patch of greensward large enough to recline on a shady tree or shrub and a rippling rivulet are appreciated in persia at their proper value appreciated more than broad green pastures and waving groves of shade trees in moister climes moreover there is a peculiar charm in these bright emerald gems set in sombre grey be they never so small and insignificant in themselves that is not to be experienced where the contrast is less marked scattered here and there about the stony plain between tehran and the elbert's foothills are many beautiful gardens beautiful for persia where a pleasant hour can be spent wandering beneath the shady avenues and among the fountains these gardens are simply patches redeemed from the desert plain supplied with irrigating water 
and surrounded with a high mud wall. Leading through the garden are graveled walks, shaded by rows of graceful chenars. The gardens are planted with fig, pomegranate, almond or apricot trees, grapevines, melons, etc. They are the property of wealthy Tehranis who derive an income from the sale of the fruit in the Tehran market. The ample space within the city ramparts includes a number of these delightful retreats, some of them presenting the additional charm of historic interest from having been the property and peradventure the favorite summer residence of a former king. Such a one is an extensive garden in the northeast quarter of the city, in which was situated one of the favorite summer palaces of Fateh Ali Shah, grandfather of Nasri. It was chiefly to satisfy my curiosity as to the truth of the current stories regarding that merry monarch and his exceedingly novel methods of entertaining himself that I accepted the invitation of a friend to visit this garden one afternoon. My friend is the owner of a pair of white bulldogs who accompany us into the garden. After strolling about a little, we are shown into the summer palace into the audience room where we are astonished at the beautiful coloring and marvelously lifelike representations in the old persian frescoing on the walls and ceiling depicted in life-size are fateh ali shah and his courtiers together with the european ambassadors painted in the days when the persian court was a scene of dazzling splendor the monarch is portrayed as an exceedingly handsome man with a full black beard, and is covered with a blaze of jewels that are so faithfully pictured as to appear almost like real gems on the walls. It seems strange, almost startling, to come in from contemplating the bare and lovely mud walls of the city and find oneself amid the lifelike scenes of Fateh Ali Shah's court and amid the scenes to find here and there an English face, an English figure, dressed in the triangular cockade, the long hessian pigtail, the scarlet coat with fold-back tails, the knee-breeches, the yellow stockings, the low shoes, and the long slender rapier of a George III courtier. From here we visit other rooms, glittering rooms, all mirror-work and white stucco. Into rooms we go whose walls consist of myriads of tiny squares of rich stained glass, worked into intricate patterns and geometrical designs, but which are now rapidly falling into decay, and then we go to see the most novel feature of the garden, Fateh Ali Shah's marble slide or chute. Passing along a sloping, arched vault, beneath a roof of massive marble, we find ourselves in a small, subterranean court, through which a stream of pure spring water is flowing along a white marble channel, and where the atmosphere must be refreshingly cool even in the middle of summer. In the centre of the little court is a round tank, about four feet deep, also of white marble which can be filled at pleasure with water clear as crystal from the running stream. Leading from an upper chamber and overlapping the tank 
is a smooth-worn marble slide or chute, about twenty feet long and four broad, which is pitched at an angle that makes it imperative upon any one trusting themselves to attempt the descent to slide helplessly into the tank. Here, on summer afternoons, with the chastened daylight peeping through a stained-glass window in the roof and carpeting the white marble floor with rainbow hues, with the only entrance to the cool and massive marble court guarded by armed retainers, who, while guarding it, were conscious of guarding their own precious lives. Fatihali Shah was wont to beguile the hours away by making merry with the bewitching nymphs of his Andaroon, transforming them from the nonce into naiads. End of section 43